Welcome to episode eight of the Worship is Life podcast, where worship equals relationship and relationship is the purpose of life. I'm your producer, Taylor Marshall, and today's guest is Zach Hicks, author of The Worship Pastor, and he's the canon for liturgy and worship at Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. His website is zachhicks.com, that's Z-A-C-H-I-C-K-S.com, and here is your host, Todd Marshall. Thank you, Taylor, and welcome, Zach. So great to have you with us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to talk about this stuff. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm going to uh, just cue our listeners in to a couple things. We try to be as real as possible here, and uh, we're recording this in January 2021, so Mm -hmm. we're still in the midst of the COVID thing, and this morning, my producer and son, Taylor, just got a positive test. So yes, we are actually in two different spaces right now, which created some technical challenges <laughs> as we tried to get going with Zach here, but we're making it work. And if in about 30 minutes, you start to hear some light piano in the background, <laughs> that's because my wife is downstairs <laughs> teaching lessons virtually. So uh, we got a, a lot of excitement uh, going on here. Um, but, uh, the great thing is we're going to have this wonderful conversation with a new friend, Zach Hicks and, um, Zach, we have, uh, well, I've been getting to know you first through reading this great book of yours, the worship pastor. And several months ago, before this podcast was even a dream, I reached out to you uh, to just see if you'd be open just to having a conversation because we uh, we resonate so deeply on many things, as I can tell by reading your book and um, a lot of the same language. And I would dare to say we're probably kindred spirits. And, um, and so we had a great lengthy conversation several months ago and got to know each other a little bit then. Um, in a second, I do want to just invite you to share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family, uh, but I want to point out something recently I discovered that we have in common, and that is both of our wives um, had a rare form of cancer, and I think maybe around the same time, if I'm doing the math right, because for my wife, it's been 17 years, and what I read about you was that it was early in your marriage, so it might have been even right around the same time. My wife, Brenda, had a rare form of thyroid cancer, which there's no treatment for except surgery, and so she's been um, just in, yeah, she's, I mean, they cut it out, and thank God she's been healthy for 17 years. What's, uh, what, what's your story with uh, your wife, Abby? Yeah, my wife, when we were married, uh, just I think four years we were in our mid twenties and she got diagnosed with what's called ocular melanoma, mm. which melanoma is normally something we talk about with skin, mm-hmm. but it's also, it's just a type of cancer and it grows inside the eyeball uh, in the middle of it. And so you can't do surgery to remove it without, uh, destroying the eye. Um, and sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to remove the eye. In wow. our case, her tumor was of a size where we actually had an option of either, removal of the eye or a radiation procedure. And she was young enough. We, we chose the radiation and mm. that came with all sorts of horror and trauma, mm. but we, we went through that and, wow. uh, you know, that, that was when we, God quickly took us from being 
uh, young people to old souls pretty yeah, fast. And, yeah. uh, and thank God Abby's cancer has not returned. And here we are mm-hmm. nearly, yeah, 17 years later, 16 years later. Yeah, so um, same timing as us. Yep. 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 So, so it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. God's thank God. Thank God is right. And uh, I imagine we will circle around back to that as we uh, look at part of our conversation here. Um, no but doubt. just uh, yeah. just tell us a little more about just you and then again uh, the rest of your family. Yeah. So I grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii. Nice. From the time I was uh, a, a little little boy, little baby, until I graduated high school. So that's really the kind of culture that I knew is very Asian American culture and just the beautiful scenic Hawaiian islands that I took for granted and thought was everybody's life. Um, and then I went to college in Los Angeles in California at a, at a Christian university called Biola University out there, studied music. And uh, a, a few years before going to college, I had experienced a call to ministry at a youth retreat and really felt like God wanted me for pastoral ministry. So uh, I didn't know what I was going to study in undergrad, but knew because of my tradition at the time, you go and get a seminary degree, you know, so I knew I was going to go to seminary, didn't know what I was going to do in college, decided to go the musical route because a choir director saw some potential in me and said, Mm. I know you don't have a lot of musical training or education, but you should try it and Hmm. went to music school, was in over my head, but kind of ignorant for a while until I realized, holy cow, I I don't know anything. And God just accelerated my learning. It was a wonderful uh, thing. Went on, met Abby in college, and we moved to Denver. And we both attended Denver Seminary. She got a degree in counseling, and I got mm. a de- you know theolo- theology, pastoral ministry degree. Started serving churches as a as a, a worship leader because you know you can work part time doing that and go to seminary, and so it just kind of started that way for me. And somewhere along the journey, we had all our four kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll tell you about them in a second. But really in the journey, I started asking the question, hey, God, you called me to be a pastor. Why in the world am I stuck in this worship leading role? And Mm -hmm. I don't seem to be able to transcend it. Mm -hmm. And along that journey, kind of revelation through things I'd read, through just the Holy Spirit working in my life, and through conversation with people much more wise than myself, recognized... um, I'm pastoring people in the job that I'm doing. And once that light bulb clicked, it it really did reorient my whole sense of call on ministry. Um, And that's kind of what gave birth to the book in a way, is the book really germinated Mm -hmm. as my my own thoughts of my own vocational call. So I've been on that trajectory ever since. Um, Yeah, we have four kids. I have three boys and a little girl uh, who's not so little anymore. And they're 16, 14. 12 and 10. Um, and the oldest just got his license wow. and he's super into Pokemon Go right now uh, <laughs> okay. because it like took a big hiatus. And now amongst high schoolers, at least out here, it's like made a big comeback. So huh. he's driving around to funny locations in Birmingham and uh, gotcha doing raids and whatever it is you do in Pokemon Go. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Um, so I just heard we have something else in common because that's very similar to my story as far as not developing latent musical gifts until college. Um, so yeah, so I'm very familiar with that journey and the hyper and the hyper process, um, that happened during those years and, um, being impacted by mentors and, and, um, yeah, how God uses all that to reveal, 
um, and reveal purposes and lead us and guide us. So that is awesome. Um, so we love to talk to people with our, with our focus on just helping people realize at a deeper level the purpose of life being relationship and how, you know, in our worldview, that really needs to start with a relationship with God because we need help <laughs> doing relationship with others. So we love to hear from people what it looks like to um, for you in your journey of learning to stay engaged with God. So I've got a couple of quotes here from your book under this point that I just love. Um, one is, we should continually cultivate a sensitive awareness in ourselves. And then the other quote is, make your day-to-day regular activities a consistent time to converse with God. So when I say worship is life, that is like the picture of the first part of that. So Zach, what does that look like for you? So I know people can get the impression that us ministers, us uh, professional type people, we've got the relationship with God side thing all figured out and we're perfect in it. Um, but uh, really, we're just like everybody else. Everybody else is like us. So what's it been like? What's your journey been like uh, learning that and then and then growing in that consistent engagement and awareness? Yeah, I would say that for me, it's been um, relationally inaugurated, backfilled with knowledge and theology, <laughs> uh, and then kind of brought together in a beautiful fusion of the two. Hmm. Uh, for me, I just grew up in a tradition. It was a Baptist evangelical tradition mm-hmm. that really did teach me what it was like to have a relationship with Jesus. So talking about, and not everybody's tradition talks about it so natively, but I, I do. I grew up in a, in a tradition of Christianity that said the center of our religion is your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so all the, all the kind of freight that comes with the idea of relationship, conversing, spending time together. Those things are very central to my way of thinking about how I read my Bible, how I pray. Uh, And even as I've journeyed through various traditions of Christianity in my ministry, that center has stayed pretty much intact and only informed and helped and aided and been a, a rich center to my ministry and to the way I understand public worship and gathered worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, as I try to teach my kids what a relationship with God is like, I say it's not, it's actually not rocket science. It's its very much akin to how you would think of relating to anybody else. Yeah. How does a relationship work with another human being? Uh, it looks like quality time together, conversation, yeah. hearing from them, speaking to them, um, getting to know what they love, them knowing what you love, and uh, those means are mediated uh, uh, through prayer and through the scriptures. So I hear from God in 10,000 ways, but chiefly mm. and clearly through the word of God mm. in, in the Bible. And so when I'm talking to God and wanting to hear with him, somehow that is a prayerful interaction with the scriptures. Uh, that's something I was taught from the very beginning mm. and has only kind of grown. And interestingly enough, pretty much what a good worship is, what a good worship service is publicly is the people of God enacting that together, you know, enacting, gathering around the word of God, listening to it in its various forms and responding to it 
uh, in scripturally kind of given ways. So it's funny, the symbiotic nature, the, the kind of life-giving nature between one's private relationship with God and one's public worship of God. Mm-hmm. And so those things, I would say over the course of my life, I ping-ponged spiritually between one feeling more emphasized and meaningful to me, but they've always been together, and I recognize them as a unified whole. Yeah, right. Yeah, and as much as um, as much as it is simple in the sense that it's like a relationship with a person, it's still mysterious because it's just not exactly the same because right. we're not seeing the flesh, we're not hearing that audible voice in the sound waves, um, not touching that flesh. Um, so it, so it is mysterious, uh, even though it's the greatest reality. Um, and it's, it's so, you know, one of the things I've, I've discovered through that process too is, is realizing it's so easy for us to focus on the doing. Okay, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do, yeah. do, do, because that's the part that we can control. That's the part mm-hmm. where we can see results. That's the part that can make us feel good about ourselves. Um, and and yet it can also, when that gets overemphasized, then we lose, we can lose that, that intimacy part because when you focus, when you over-focus on doing, you're focused on basically yourself as opposed to the relationship. I've, I've even stopped, I've even stopped using the word disciplines because mm-hmm. just of that connotation of a set of rules you do and just trying to so much stay in that relational yeah. language and that relational picture. Cause it, cause it is a mystery that involves doing, you know, it does involve doing, mm-hmm. but is there any, are there any, like you said, there's 10,000 other ways. Um, what are some of the, the other ways um, that you sense hearing from God? What does it sound like? What does it look like um, outside even scripture engagement when, when you're sensing yeah. God, hearing from God? Um, certainly because the Bible informs me and reveals to me that uh, every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, mm-hmm. that as I encounter and am, am in relationship with other Christians, that too becomes a means through which God is speaking to me. Mm. Um, I think it always needs to kind of come back to and and be heard in the context of the Bible's clear authority. But that said, um, yeah, one of the ways that I hear from God often is through conversations and relationships, mm. whether they be pretty mundane conversations of another Christian who I know the Spirit of Christ resides in, or whether it's a deeply uh, earnest and focused conversation about the Scriptures or about God or about those kinds of things. Um, I do. That's where I find God speaking to me there. Yeah. Romans 1 talks, too, about um, nature being a source of of some kinds of revelation. My favorite one. And and I've I've been someone who's always grown up in really beautiful and lived in beautiful places. I've lived in Hawaii, mm. California, Denver, Colorado, South Florida, and now Birmingham, Alabama. And Birmingham, actually, you think, I don't know if it has any beautiful spots, but it's it's actually a little bit rolling hills and mountainous here. Mm. Uh, and the city's beautiful. So uh, I live in a place where I can I see what in, what in theology is called general revelation all around me, yep. where 
like what Romans one talks about, that I can see God's invisible attributes, you know, on display that he is powerful, that he is, uh, an intelligent designer and uh, is an artist. And I learned things about him um, through those means. It's pretty, it's limited, but I, I learned things about him mm -hmm. there. So nature, relationships, Bible, worship services, those kinds of things. Yeah, I love it. I can relate so well. And uh, hopefully our listeners can too. And we'll just uh, add all those things to um their ways of engagement. What about when you're going through big transitions? How have you heard the Lord lead you or how has he shown himself to you in those big transition moments of life? Yeah, it'll be through all those same means um, okay. in various ways. Uh, there have been true moments where impressions from the Lord, just a kind of conviction of, oh my gosh, this is totally the right decision to make so like a desire uh, have been there but that's been like i could yeah it's a sort of a, a magnetism of this is what i should do and i'm compelled to do it mm -hmm. kind of idea i can count on my hand the mo moments where it's really been like that other times it's been through the west wrestling and through um the discernment of talking especially with other people who are wise and that delicate balance between a kind of oh what one might describe as a mysterious seeking the lord and saying, Lord, reveal to me what it is you want me to do, combined with uh, what the Bible talks about with wisdom, uh, making the best good decision that's in front of me. Mm -hmm. And depending on the, those big decisions, sometimes it's been more being led to wisdom and going through it. And then in hindsight, going, that was the providence of the Lord guiding mm. me. Or sometimes it's been just a, a kind of laser beam from heaven saying, hey, suspend your judgment a little bit. This is what I want you to do. Mm. And I could talk about instances like that. Um, but that's that's the gist for me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, all right, so let's circle back to your journey with Abby and her cancer. Um, can you take some of these things we've been talking about and kind of unfold that and wrap yes, that a little bit with that journey? I can. Uh, and, you know, a lot of this is hindsight, you know, because when you're going through suffering, you're not doing a lot of, uh, I'm not doing a lot of analysis. I'm doing a lot of survival. Yeah. <laughs> so, but really in hindsight, uh, I can see the hand of God. I, I think actually a lot of times when you're suffering, you experience suffering as the absence of God in real time. Mm. Um, I've come to understand that it's often in suffering where God is most uh, tangibly present. And a lot of that has to do with a flowering of my understanding of the theology of God's work and the work of the word of God. Um, the, the scriptures talk about how when God is working, he's, he's doing principally two things to you. Uh, and this sounds a little bit audacious to speak of it with this, but it's really plain. The Lord is killing and he's making alive. Mm. He's uh, taking your old, cre the old creature, the flesh of you down to the grave. And he is resurrecting the new creature, Jesus Christ in you. Um, and I, I do believe that suffering is a means through which God is helping to slay the old creature and to resurrect, uh, the new man, the new woman, uh, Jesus Christ in us, you know, and I don't think that that theological construction is necessarily a comfort to the sufferer. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even say that to a sufferer in the moment mm -hmm. of their suffering, yep. but it is a great comfort to me 
when I recognize that God is in the pain just as he is as much as he is in the joy. Hmm. And in fact, the pain is the sign of God's nearness because he loves me too much to leave me as I am to myself. Hmm. And even, uh, you know, we're tempted to think if we if we're really simplistic about it, that um, when I speak like I just spoke, that somehow it's God punishing me for sin. Um, and it's not a one-to-one correlation at all mm-hmm. between suffering and my sinfulness. Um, I, would, I think it's much more scriptural to say that God works in suffering to purge the brokenness and sin out of us for the believer who's filled with the Spirit, you know? Um, and that, that, it, that, again, doesn't make the suffering easier, and it doesn't actually sort of solve anything about going through the misery and pain of those things, but especially in hindsight, I recognize personally those moments of deep suffering as the work of the Lord, without trying to sound pious or Christian about it, but just matter-of-factly, it's the work of the Lord to draw me to himself and to conform me more into the image of Christ and to cause me to live um, much more dependent on God, which is right where he wants me to be, you know. He wants me to be more dependent upon him, not less. He's not raising me up to be an adult who's somehow independent of his father. That's where the kind of parenting metaphor breaks down, mm. at least in modern uh, modern speak. I think the father, you know, creatures were designed to be dependent upon their creator. Mm. And yeah. the fall is what messed that up. The fall is what created a sense of independence. So I personally love the language of intimacy. But if we're speaking in theological language, uh, you know, you can also use the language of union and communion with God, yeah. union with Christ. Those things, I, I think, are overlapping spheres if not talking about the same thing. Yeah. And I think that suffering is a means through which God, um, God fuses me to him and brings me to him, e- even if it feels like the opposite of what that is, because it feels like all it is is driving me to question God and um, hate God and shake my fist at God. But that very journey is part of the process of drawing me into fellowship and relationship with him. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I'd like to transition to uh, another segment, another phase here, and just um, hear from you um, ways that you bring the influence of what we're what we've been speaking about, how you bring that into your congregation as a leader. <clears throat> and if people are listening and they're not quote unquote worship leaders, I really invite them to stay engaged here because there's so much that all of us can learn from how a leader is is leading us um, to make this connection. I've got a few more quotes from your book here. Worship boils down to God's coming to us and our responsive approach, which I love because revelation and response is the language that I use as one of the core foundations in my teachings. Um, and so that's, that's beautiful, that relational pattern. And then another quote, in worship, it's not Jesus and me, but Jesus and we. And I love that. And then finally, we should build the language of presence and encounter into worship. So um, can you speak to a few ways that you 
bring this into um, a worship service to help form your people into that reality? Yes. Um, at least in my, you know, it depends on the Christian tradition, whether this language and concept of encountering God's presence in worship is more or less uh, central and native. And I think if you're a, a Pentecostal or charismatic, that that stuff is front and center. And that's exactly what you know. Like when I come to a worship service of the people of God, the number one expectation on your mind is that I'm going to encounter the power and presence of the living God. I serve contexts where that's not the number one expectation mm. um, because I'm not in those traditions. I'm in traditions um, that are liturgical and, ha ha you know, have worship services that are filled with lots of words and rituals mm -hmm. and the, the, their blessings to that. But some of the liabilities are is that you can get either focused or downshifted into merely going through those things without recognizing what their purpose is, which I believe is to provide an encounter of the people of God with the presence of the living God. I really do agree with my charismatic brothers and sisters when they say that in a worship service, when the people of God gather, there's this kind of special gift or dispensation of uh, a the, the thinning of the membrane between heaven and earth mm. where God kind of creates a special portal and we're sort of catapulted mysteriously into the future when the new heavens and the new earth uh, will be fully manifested. And when Jesus kind of consummates his kingdom and all this brokenness is gone and a worship service is a, is a bit of a time warp in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, and God's present and God's present through various means. He's, present as we pray. He's present as, as the Word of God is preached and read. He's present as we sing and certainly present uh, in those other other aspects of a worship service that in my tradition are called sacraments, a baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, and the expectation and encountering that is something, therefore, because it's not a part of, or it's easy to lose in a more liturgical context, mm -hmm. is something that I have to almost teach on on a regular basis and even remind. Um, so it leaks into, say, when the, the group of volunteers are gathered before the service who are helping to facilitate the service. That's something I regularly bring up is we need to be praying that our people are filled by the power of the Holy Spirit with an expectation that God's going to really speak. And um, whenever I teach on the prayer book or the liturgy, colors what I emphasize about it. You know, there's lots of things to talk about with liturgy. I could talk about the history or uh, the the meaning or the development of this symbology and stuff like that. But if, if I really believe that a worship service is an encounter with God, what I want to do is to give people ears to hear his voice more clearly mm -hmm. through the liturgy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm aiming all my instruction and teaching in that way um, when it comes to the actual worship service, you know, I, I think that there's a there's a connection between our emotional um, investment in something and our ability to feel and recognize the presence of God among us. Um, I'm someone who believes in holistic worship, mm -hmm. so I think God summons and calls every part of our being, mind, will, body, and emotions. I don't separate mind and emotions. Yep. Uh, I think when I come to worship, it's supposed to be head and heart together. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that it's the emotional life um, 
uh, that deepens our apprehension of intellectual truth. <laughs> it, you know, it's one thing to it's one thing to know that I'm a sinner before God intellectually. It's another thing to feel contrition in my heart and weep for the uh, for the sadness of my sin and grieve over that in a worship service. Mm. The latter, I'd say, is is a much more fully human way of um, of being in a moment. And so I think that there's a connection between our emotional engagement of parts of a worship service and our ability to encounter and know God among us. Because he's relational, you can expect those things that happen in relationships, which is, you know, knowing glances or uh, a gentle tone having a visceral effect on us. You can expect those relational kinds of things that include emotional communication to take place in a worship service together. That said, you know, one of the reasons that I say, quoting one of the pastors I've had, it's not Jesus and me, but Jesus and we, is that when you're seeking an encounter with God, one of the liabilities of that that understanding is that sometimes when we gather for worship, we can be thinking about how to get to this hyper-intimate place of just me and God. And that forgets that um, we're not in a closet, but we are, in fact, gathered with the body of Christ. Yeah. And that there are not only vertical dimensions to worship between me and God, but there are horizontal ones, which means that there's something to my recognition of the other members of the body of Christ with me, also encountering God's presence together, which means, you know, my eyes are open and my heart is sensing uh, who I'm with and what we're here collectively to do. And I'm probably laying down a little bit of my preferences for the sake of my brother or my sister who may encounter God slightly differently than me in a worship service. And all those things kind of factor into the corporate nature of us coming together and doing the thing that we do called worship. Yeah. Beautiful. Circling back to um, what you'd shared about, you know, gathering corporately, there's that thinning of the membrane between our... um, our dimension and the dimension that we yeah. don't live in literally yet with the Lord. And, and I wholeheartedly agree that, that there's an amplification um, of, his, of the sense of his presence when we gather together. So that, so that part of it, it, it is absolutely a reality. Um, but I wonder if you could speak to this, because I also think that the, there's a part of it that, yes, we're coming together, but as we come together, our focus, our attention, individually and corporately, is turning to God in ways that maybe it hasn't in a few hours or a few days <laughs> or a few weeks. Yeah. Um, and then, And so just speak briefly to that, and in addition to that, can we grow in staying in that place of engagement when we walk out the doors? Yes. Again, I think that by God's design, there is a, a relationship between our private individual encounters with the Lord and the public worship that we engage in. And they can often, if cultivated individually, uh, in both those spheres, they really do serve one another in that mm, way mm-hmm. for the kind of wholeness of our spiritual health and vitality. Um, yes, 
there are distinct things that I think, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. Uh, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't choose unique and reserve in ordinary circumstances, unique ways to reveal himself to his people. I believe worship services are one of those places that God says, I'm going to reserve specific, and I'll use this language, means of grace, where uh, in ordinary circumstances, this is, I'm going to show myself, or I'm going to um, touch my people in a special way. But certainly, yes, um, that in, in its best circumstances, I've heard worship the theologians talk about it this way, that a good worship service is a distillation, a kind of concentrated form of all of life. If, if you're doing a worship service properly and engaging it properly, it should inform your entire reality. I'm of the, the biblical persuasion that at the center of the life of the Christian, this side of eternity, um, our life is centered around the constant act of repentance that I never get beyond confessing my need for Jesus mm -hmm. and Jesus giving himself to me in the gospel. And that, that kind of do that sort of two part process, confession and, and forgiveness, confession and repentance, that cycle that goes on and on, um, is at the center of what it means to be a Christian. That's a very relational thing I'm talking about because mm -hmm. confession means having been convicted by God coming at me and telling me this is not right. This is broken, uh, you know, speaking to me clearly. And repentance is me going, I agree with you, God, and I confess I can't do anything about it. And then God coming back again and saying, I give you Jesus. I give you the one who lived the life you couldn't live and died on your behalf so that you might have a restored relationship with me. That whole thing um, is what the Christian life is, in my opinion. <laughs> and it's also, therefore, what a good worship service enacts. Uh, and so in that respect, if I'm speaking of a relationship with God outside of a worship service and inside, they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. One of them's just sort of packaged in a more ritualistic format, like I'm kind of walking through steps of repentance that we all walk through together. And I say ritualistic, not in a negative way. And in fact, every denomination, every expression of Christianity has rituals. Yep. We just choose how to structure them in which way, and they can, by virtue uh, of their alignment with the Bible, be more or less Christian. <laughs> um, but in my understanding, yeah, I think that uh, repentance is the means through which God is is doing His work in our lives, uh, and that that relationship, therefore, is cultivated as I privately and publicly engage in Him uh, doing that work on me. Of repentance, and that's probably not exactly the way that you know you were expecting an answer. Uh, it feels like it feels like the way I'd want to articulate it if I'm talking about the nature of the relationship between my private relationship with God and, and my public corporate relationship with God with the body of Christ in a worship service. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um, all right, if we could if we could wrap up with just um, you giving specifically to worship leaders, some encouraging and challenging words. Um, and I think this is what your book is, is all about, and I can't recommend it highly enough for pastors and worship leaders, the worship pastor. Um, but um, maybe we'll take one or two quotes at a time here. I love this quote from your book, speaking to worship leaders and pastors, the worship services you lead 
are putting tools into the hands of Christians, tools which help them to both love God and love others better. So I, I love that. Can you uh, put a little more meat on that? Yes. It's actually pretty specific. It goes back to what I referred to earlier with regards to repentance. Um, when you read Paul's letters to the various churches that he's writing to, whether it's Ephesus or Corinth or a letter to the church in Rome, the Romans, um, he has a unified perspective on what causes us to be able to love God and what causes us to be able to love other people. Mm. And that single thing, and it's one thing, is generated not from inside of me, but comes to me from outside of me. So it's strange to say that the engine that drives my ability to love God and love other people cannot be revved by me. Right. Um, it must be revved by the gospel, the good news of who Jesus Christ is. A lot of traditions of, of Christianity try to speak of the, especially those of us who are uh, in quote evangelical traditions, um, have been used to hearing about the word gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ as something for non-believers or something for non-Christians, or something that describes what I needed for my entrance into the faith. Mm -hmm. But one of the big sort of revelations I had upon revisiting this in my adult life and reading the Bible kind of again, and listening and, and watching the ministry of Jesus afresh, is that I never depart from my need for that good news of Jesus Christ. And in fact, it is the fuel that drives my ability to love God and love others. So, if we're talking about worship equipping me with tools to love God and love others, I actually think that's precisely what it is. Insofar as a worship service helps me uh, get to the place where I'm convicted of my sin and then into that gaping hole gives me the good news of Jesus Christ, I am being equipped with the tools necessary to love God and love others. Because the nature of sin is actually that it closes me in on myself and causes me to focus solely on myself. Yep. And what is the love of God and the love of others but self-forgetfulness? Yep. The only thing that can free me up from my obsession with myself to unshackle me from being tied to navel-gazing is the good news of Jesus Christ that I don't have to muster up within myself what it takes for God to be pleased with me and what it takes for God to uh, love me and accept me. And in fact, that's given to me as a gift by Jesus Christ outside of me. And it comes at me free through the grace of Jesus. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 in a nutshell. And that that precise gift is accompanied by the very Holy Spirit who births and produces all those things that cause me to love God and love others. It, it it's The Holy Spirit is what is that engine in me that desires to honor, adore, and have a relationship with Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who, Galatians 5, bears the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which are primarily horizontal things, things that are meant to bless and love others mm -hmm. with, you know? Yep. So um, the gospel gives me all that I need. It is the tool and the lifeblood and good worship services center themselves around that good news of Jesus precisely so that the believers can be equipped to do what we're designed to do by our maker, to live outside of ourselves, to adore our maker, and to, out of that adoration, serve the world.
Absolutely. That's beautiful. Wow. Our, uh, our journeys have been so similar, Zach, just, uh, love resonating with what you are saying and with, um, uh, the place that you have been brought to. Um, okay. One last thing, maybe you could encourage worship leaders, uh, in this area as we close, um, a quote, a pastoral heart builds up such a love and empathy for the church that even in the midst of receiving wounds, he or she is able to respond in love by drawing near instead of retreating or fighting in defensiveness. When I witness Jesus' ministry to others, and when I recall Jesus' goodness and kindness to me, I can't help but recognize that I serve a Lord who drew near to me when I was unlovable and ungodly, that he drew near to me while I was yet an enemy of him, that he didn't wait till I was ready or favorably disposed to him. He came after me when I, when I wasn't ready. Uh, that's what I just articulated is what the Bible talks about, about Christ's pursuit of us. Um, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans says, or while we were enemies, Christ came to us. Um, once that, once I recognize and I'm seized by that kind of one-way love, that I didn't, I didn't pursue God, He pursued me. All of a sudden, that that gives me an ocean of um, of love and grace to draw from. That, in its ideal form, kind of makes any criticism I receive or any hate I receive. Um, it causes me to be impenetrable in that way because I'm so loved by God. Uh, I don't have to extract and I don't have to require that perfect love from anywhere else or from anybody else, which frees me up to receive wounds and not have to flinch. And it frees me up to actually, as a result of that ocean of love, imitate that and draw near to others in the midst of those abrasions and in the midst of those those sufferings and uh, sin on sin kind of clashes. Um, and so the gospel births in me the kind of love that allows me to withstand and truly feel, despite all the all the grimy realities of being one sheep among many in a field of sheep poop. <laughs> mm -hmm. It gives me the ability to love the other sheep around me. Yeah. Um, simply because I've been filled up with a love that is greater than I am. Yeah, I wanted you to speak to that, um, especially for those of our listeners who are in those Pentecostal evangelical um, settings. Because in those settings, the worship, as you know, is largely tied to the idea of music and other worship arts, which right. are so prone for opinion and criticism. And it yeah. can be a really challenging road to walk when you're, when you're in that, when you're the one bringing the art um, and then you've got everyone's opinions um, uh, you know, all over the spectrum. And uh, that's a, <clears throat> that's a challenging, uh, that's a challenging journey to walk. It is. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, aspiring worship leaders who look up front at music leaders in their church and go, I want to do that. 
never uh, are fully prepared and past, you know, classical pastors for that matter, who look at a preacher mm-hmm. or someone um, teaching and go, I want to do that. You're never fully ready for the, the grime and the dirt of, of ministry to people. You're never ready to have your own sinfulness and brokenness exposed <laughs> before others. Mm-hmm. And then others sinfulness and brokenness um, rub up against yours. Mm. And it, you know, some people don't survive that. Some people don't survive being able to withstand that. And I find that the more we can make peace that the, the church and people in the church, you know, aren't better people qualitatively than quote, the people in the world. We're just people that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that does mean that it's going to be a messy place. It's, it's going to be a place where people hurt people. The only difference is that we have news and a gift that allows us to withstand that hurt without tearing each other apart. Um, and the gift of Jesus Christ is what heals and what what takes those abrasions to their ultimate end and gives us a present and a future that say, this is all going to be eradicated and there is hope for a brighter day. Wow, that is amazing, Zach. I have so enjoyed hearing just... Um the language you use and how loving you put it. Um, and it's been really great getting to know you on here. This is awesome. I love, I love how you just put a bow on that there at the end. Um, talking about, I also love the the phrase, um, a sheep among other sheep in a field of sheep poop. <laughs> That's right. It's so good. I love, love how you've put it. Well, Hey, we've reached that point in our episode here today where we bring on our unofficial member of the podcast. If that's okay with it, if that's okay with you, is that okay, Zach? I, I guess so. I'm a little nervous. All right. As you should be. Billy Bob, you're on with Zach Hicks. <laughs> I'm on. Hello? Zach? Are you there, Zach? <laughs> yes. Zach, is, that, is, this, is this Zach Hicks, author of The Worship, the worship Pastor? Certainly is, my friends. Oh, my goodness, Zach. I've, I've heard so much about you. It is so good to talk to you i'm just honored 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 like a like a sheep in a sheep pen i'm honored to talk to you wow well, it sounds like you need some dental work no comment no comment there um uh, 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 let, well first of all zach let me just say that i know a thing or two about a thing or two for example i've been doing a little research you know i don't First of all, I don't know what kind of what kind of internet signal you get where you live, but but I know you're from Alabama and I am from the South too. And let me just say, it's about time these guys got somebody on this show from the South. So <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. So good to have you. Anyway, as I was saying, you know, I only get. I only, where I live in the South, I don't know where it's like where you are, but where I live, you know, I only get internet about once a week if it decides to come through, you know. <laughs> but in that time, I, you know, found out you were from Alabama, and then found out another thing. Found This really caught my attention. I want to hear about this. It must be, must be, must be so cool. I saw something about, about fig music. That's F-I-G, fig music. Now that sounds, to me, when I saw that, I mean, that sounds fun. Is it, what, what's fig music? Is that all about fun? No, it's actually not about fun. What? It, uh, that's, the, that's the name of what I put all my songs. That's the kind of the copyright moniker that I put on. 
okay. better uh, my stuff. And it actually comes from that period at the beginning of this podcast of suffering. Oh. Um, it's, uh, it's a line from Habakkuk at the end of that prophet who was able to look at a bunch of suffering going on with God and say, though, the, though there are no cattle in the stalls, there are no, though there are no sheep in the pen, though there are no grapes on the vine, and uh, though, there's, though the fig tree does not bud, uh, yet I will oh. praise my God. And so, you know, I, I began writing songs out of that period of time where uh, I was suffering. And it became a kind of uh, a statement of mine to be able to say, you know, yet I will praise you. And so my my copyright moniker is Unbudding Fig Music. Oh, wow. Well, that's beautiful, Jack. I got to <laughs> tell you, that's just a lot deeper than what I was thinking. Wow, <laughs> yeah, that is powerful, powerful stuff. I can't. I'm going to go check that out. I'm going to go check that out. Hey, friend Taylor, can you tell us again in a moment where people can check that out? Zach, it's been so good talking to you. Okay, Roger, over and out. Maybe I'll run into you somewhere here in the South. I hope not. (laughs) Thank you, Zach, for letting that happen. And I appreciate your candid response. Somebody (laughs) finally wasn't as nice as uh, as Billy Bob expected, our other <laughs> podcasts, they've been a little nicer than I think they'd like to be. Yeah, thank you so much, Zach, for joining <laughs> us today. This has just been wonderful. Um, can't wait till this episode gets released. Uh, it's just been an, an honor talking with you yeah. again. And um, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. God bless you, my friend. Hey, definitely. It's been a privilege, and I'm grateful for you all and your ministry, and pray God's blessings upon future conversations and the reach of what you all do. Thanks, Zach. To get Zach's book, The Worship Pastor, head to his website, zachhicks.com. That's Z-A-C-H-I-C-K-S.com. For more information and resources about Worship is Life, head to worshipislife.org. My name is Zach Hicks, and you're listening to the Worship is Life podcast.